Hello and welcome to episode number two of Malcast. Today we're going to continue our introductory series by talking about mine and Patrick's political beliefs. So where do we sit on the spectrum, left, right, authoritarian, libertarian? Um, some of our ideas uh, regarding politics, regarding policy, and where we think that we're going to be talking that this way you understand where we're coming from when we talk about different policies on our show so patrick why don't you get us started what are you that is a good question i was trying to bring up uh i, I did the political compass test which isn't like great uh necessarily speaking okay, i found it it's, well, I, it's not a great um representation um of like political ideologies more generally speaking there's a lot more than you would find represented on the compass itself i'm gonna uh, say there's not nearly enough about uh foreign policy on the political yeah. compass it's it's it it, it it the questions are derived from the people who the ideology of those who made it okay the way that the, the questions are phrased are different than the way that i would phrase the questions for example because i'm not ideologically aligned with the people who made the test i also don't necessarily agree with their their local their placement of certain people uh, throughout history on it as their examples. I can understand why they would do that, understanding, again, their ideology. And I think that gets into a lot of what political discussion is. Um, it's a lot colored in the way that the language that you use. Uh, so if you can control the way that people speak, you're going to control the way that they think. Certain words will bring certain connotations with them besides the just regular definitions. So you could say BLM, and I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean about the Bureau of Land Management? It's like, okay, well, we're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter or by large mansions, depending on who you're talking to. And, uh, you know, I to, to different people, that means completely different things, right? So for me, I am, you know, moderately conservative um, as far as things go. Uh, on the political compass test, I am right 4.13 out of 10. Uh, and then I am 1.79 uh, authoritarian. Uh, that's because I'm a papist theocrat and <laughs> as opposed to James. But I think it's also because I am a fairly practical person when it comes to uh, government power. I think that uh, officials in government have essentially been granted political power through you know the democratic process that they have now uh, been tasked with wielding. And there's nothing wrong with wielding that power to affect a good end. Right. And a lot of libertarians will counter and say, oh, well, who determines the good? I'm like, well, at the end of the day, the people tend to, you know, it's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be 100 percent accurate. Uh, but at the end of the day, the the, the population, uh, the people that are active in government and paying attention will determine what the good is. And you need to not do that. <laughs> I saw it moving in, in my camera and I was like, that's not good. Oh, um, anyway. <laughs> Back to what I was saying, though, is is that that is why I'm a little bit more authoritarian. I still do believe a lot in liberty, obviously, and I think that that folds in pretty neatly into why I'm, author I'm more authoritarian than I am libertarian on scale, is because I don't believe in libertinism. Libertinism is something I have a huge problem with. And to define exactly what the difference is, liberty is the freedom uh, to for one to do what he ought to do, while libertinism is the freedom to do what one wants to do. Okay, those are two completely different things. If I asked you, okay, who's more free? A guy that goes to church every Sunday because he has to for salvation, in his mind at least, or a guy that shoots up heroin every single day of the week? It's probably the other guy, even though he's more restricted in how he has to conduct himself and that how he has to uh, spend his time. The, the heroin addict 
they are giving into their base passions so much so that they have no liberty to do anything else. The only thing that they're going to be concerned about is getting more heroin. And I know that I understand that this generalization is not entirely true. You might have an uncle who is a very functional heroin addict, whatever. But at the end of the day, that is the difference between libertinism and liberty. And I think that generally speaking, uh, the Democrats and a lot of uh, the Democrats have generally embraced libertinism over liberty. And I think that a lot of libertarians are moving in that direction because if, if you ever try to nail them down on it, uh, you know, there's no objective morality. There's there's no real uh, rationale for, for government to have any sort of power, which I think is completely wrong. Well, I think a lot of that might have to actually do with the fact that some of them are concerned about being hypocritical because if you say okay i'm a libertarian and you know big l libertarian what do i i believe in nothing but liberty you know that um yeah and they don't want to be called out and say well what about this one scenario and they well, you know if if they say well okay if they I don't want to be called out if they don't want to be called out then i don't think that they're virtuous people because uh, courage is a prerequisite for all virtues so you have to be to take a stance is to have courage so, you know, maybe you should stand up for, for what you believe in that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, my, my point is that um, they're afraid of being considered hypocritical. Yeah. No, I understand that. I understand. So. That. And, I, and I don't think that they would be hypocritical if they utilize my, my framework of liberty versus libertinism. You know, because you can, you can fold, you know, it's fairly malleable because you can fold, oh, well, I think someone ought to do this to be oriented towards the good. You know, so. I think you put more thought into it than a lot of people do, I, well, I, that's what happens when you have six years of education <laughs> that's that's a fair point uh, how would you define yourself james i think i've talked uh, a little bit too much i am a walking oxymoron of poli uh of political beliefs so i have a massive problem with authority while also understanding why it exists um yeah. i simultaneously disagree with globalism while agreeing with some of the economic goals of it while also believing in american superiority on the global stage um i yeah. disagree with interventionalism while also understanding that there are scenarios in which if we don't intervene then the problem becomes far greater down the road and, you know, watch the episode on taxation. I repeatedly say that taxation is theft, but I also understand why it exists and why we need it. And basically, I try to walk that tightrope uh, between, listen, in, in an ideal world, we wouldn't need governments, we wouldn't have war, we wouldn't have taxation, but this, you know, ideal world doesn't exist. You know, human nature, is it's just not possible. So how can we make the best of the situation that we're in? How can we place the limits on government while also allowing our government to protect us from, you know, malicious actors such as China or terrorists? You know, how do, how do we walk that tightrope between the two extremes? And as a result, I, my ideology is fluid in the sense that i'm always i'm always willing i knew to, you were a fluid shut up i'm always I mean, solid sometime it's really fun i'm a gas uh, um yeah that's what alina tells me <laughs> um Elena's my fiance for those of you who don't know um but no i'm always i'm always willing to listen to the counter argument to my current beliefs because maybe i'm overlooking something maybe there's a specific scenario in which something makes sense where in most cases it doesn't but at the end of the day, I lean more towards liberty. I believe that, 
you know, we need authority to and uh, centralization to a degree, but we also need, you know, personal autonomy. We need the ability to act in ways that we see fit to be able to express ourselves and protect ourselves while not infringing on the rights of others. Note, there is a right, or there's a difference between infringing on the rights of others and infringing on the feelings of others. Don't give a damn yeah, about your feelings. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> so, um, just to be clear, but I think if you watch, you know, for example, if you want to feel, you know, well, my, I mean, my I, thoughts I would on... Say, go I, ahead. I, I definitely care about people's feelings. I just want to, I want to just, I, I care about people's feelings, but I don't want policy oriented towards feelings. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like because that I think that I just want to make that clear. It's not like they were a callous heart with people. It's policy based on empathy is the worst policy you could possibly have. Yes. But at the same time, you have to take, you know, some concern for people into consideration. You have to take morality into consideration, because if you go full utilitarian and only make policy based off of cold, hard data, then you're going to end up with, you know, a probably a tech. Yeah. Uh, Accuracy? I can't pronounce that word. Something like that. Um, but, you know, something oh, where no. you don't actually, there, there's no compassion for the people. You don't mm -hmm. take them into account, and people are going to suffer as a result. So it's you just another scenario. Element, yeah. It's just another scenario where you have to figure out where that middle ground is. And, you know, as sad as it is, I don't think that anyone is really attempting to find that middle ground anymore. No, because it's not profitable. You're either socialist left or anarcho-capitalist right. You're either full communist authoritarian or full big L libertarian. Like you've yeah. got extremes fighting each other and very few people trying to find what's that middle ground. And that's where I reside. I didn't always reside there, but I do. Know. Well, I mean, if we want to talk about journey, I mean, uh, in 2016, I walked up to you and said, if you vote for Trump, I'm not going to be your friend. Yes, and okay. So for most people, and I want to explain that most people don't understand this because most people, I, I did, I wasn't super politically active, even though I was in political science until, you know, twenty eighteen, maybe twenty seventeen, twenty eighteen, um, uh, like late twenty seventeen, early twenty eighteen was when yeah. when I got pretty politically involved. I would say and actually paying attention to what was going on. Uh, and that was because I had a wait. I had an awakening where I was actually exposed to the conservative viewpoint. Now, my parents have been conservative, but they don't talk politics. That was just, that's not a thing that they do at the dinner table. Um, it was always how was your day? You know, let's talk about the family. Let's talk about you know like what's going on in life, that kind of stuff. And that obviously would color you know my perspective in a more conservative light than it would be for liberals because we're not talking about victim groups or whatever the heck they're talking about nowadays. Um, but but all of my friends uh, for the most part are all liberals with the with some exception uh because i come from a fairly liberal center right uh kind of area let's say like, yeah, the most right-wing uh, part of it was probably about center right uh i mean heck one of my closest friends uh that i grew up with uh in high school uh, worked for lauren underwood who is a far left you know kind of crazy lady I, i'm not a big fan of uh, just to give you an idea so i i you know i had been exposed to a bunch of liberal ethos and then i come to school and my advisor is a, a big lib. <laughs> He's really great. Like I, you know, I still get along with him to this day. He's honestly one of my favorite professors. Uh, I've got a little man trying to climb up my shirt. Um, but you know, I, I'm exposed to all these these liberal ideas, and I'm just kind of like a for the most part apolitical. So I just absorbed the culture, which took the stance of anti-Trump. So when I found out James was going to vote for Trump, I was like, hey, can't do that. And obviously, I wasn't going to vote for Hillary personally in that election because she sucks. 
And, yeah, I think and, right or left, we can agree on that. Yeah, I think everyone basically knows that. And so I just voted for Johnson. And I had no idea what was going on with the whole thing. I just thought Phil Johnson was a really, really funny line. <laughs> so I voted for him. Uh, but yeah, it's just so funny to me because so many people expect me to be like a cradle conservative. It's not necessarily the case. Which is why I think that I'm I'm a little bit different than a lot of other conservatives. And I have a better understanding of the liberal arguments and and more progressive arguments than the common common conservative would even in academia yeah as for me i i grew up in a liberal family not you know die hard crazy um leftist but definitely you know catholic liberal and you know i'm not catholic uh, i am protestant but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um and i in, in high school i was pretty far towards the right i mean we're talking you know really we had, really... A, we had, we had like a, what a three-hour conversation on gay marriage and i yes. think our positions have exactly flipped yeah so <laughs> i i used to so... be i i used to be i take very fundamentalist positions very extremely um traditionalist positions uh when it came to social issues in particular um, however, I've, you know, I opened myself up to the arguments on the liberal side and I, I moved more towards the center where I am now realizing that, you know, there is a compassionate and moral side of the argument that you have to take into consideration as well as the logical and, and um, traditional aspect of it. And so I'm pretty, pretty centrist at this point with the exception of a few um, a few specific policies, namely, um, international policy. I am fairly conservative. And when it comes to, uh, economic policy, which we will talk about in the next episode, I am very capitalist, um, with a few caveats, do not believe in socialism at all to any degree. So we will get into that in the next episode (laughs) though, but that's, that's, that's how I have, I, I have evolved. Yeah, and I've evolved kind of in the opposite direction. I've exposed myself to more conservative arguments, and I found them to be more convincing. And I think one of the biggest issues I have right now with, like, for example, the Republican Party is that their messaging, they don't understand that people don't want a Democrat-lite view. So, like, for example, take spending. Uh, They're basically, they're like, oh, you know, the Democrats are currently working on an infrastructure bill. Well, we'll just provo- propose our own infrastructure bill. People don't want that. If, if it's going to be a race to the bottom, the Democrats are going to win. Why are you doing this? This is super dumb. What people want is they want an alternative viewpoint. They want some kind of traditional viewpoint. They want something different than what the Democrats are proposing. And I think that is something that Trump brought. Uh, he really made the Republican Party a working man's party, in my opinion. And I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this because they don't like Trump. But <laughs> at the end, at the end of the day, he didn't make it a working party, like a workers' party, right? That's more communist idea. But a working man's party, someone who just wants to go to work, leave me alone, and let me produce what I want to produce at the end of the day. And then I go home to my loving wife, and we go out in the community and we have a good time. That is the party that Trump is trying to turn the Republican Party into. And there's, you know, a lot of neocons that I don't like, and. <laughs> A lot of war hawks that I also don't like because I'm an isolationist dove when it comes when it comes to it. And I think that's more of my I am not sensibilities. Yeah, uh, that are refusing that, and they want, you know, 
a different viewpoint than than a kind of a working man blue collar party and i think that they are losing personally yes and you know i'm gonna share my gripes with the republican party as well mine more is about not necessarily the stances they're taking but the lack of um i mentioned episode one my thoughts you know to you know paraphrase teddy roosevelt the best thing you can do is the right thing second best is the wrong thing worst is to do nothing well the republicans are the do nothing party they they they, yeah they sit there and pretend to fight against the democrats just long enough to where they can win re-election and then let you know the slide continue and they don't want the negative media coverage that's why yes which is that there's so much that feeds into it but at the end of the day um you see you've seen the populist movement rise up on the right and the left and on the left, it's really gotten stamped out. But on the right, because Trump won in 2016, populism started becoming the dominant faction in the Republican Party. And populists actually want the Republicans to do something. Yes, they still believe that, and I believe, that government should stay out of people's lives as much as humanly possible. But populists also realize, populist right also realizes that we need, you know, the, the, the Republicans need to fight back somehow and just taking the quote-unquote principled stance of well we don't believe the government should be involved so the go- we're not going to do anything doesn't doesn't it's fix- not gonna get people to vote for you yes That's the thing. and it's not going to fix anything it's no, at, at best going to delay it's a speed bump yes you're it, it basically what the republican party do, is doing is it's lying in the road so then when the democrats come in their fucking car sorry when the democrats come in their car uh <laughs> they just run it over and they slow down slowly or slightly. Yes. So that, and, and I think that for me personally, I don't think the government should be not involved in your personal life. I think that there are certain things that you can, that you do in your personal life that do affect others that should be managed uh, to a degree. And I'm sure you come with a lot of drug related uh, instances of that. Uh, but I, I don't think that a la Democrat policy everything personal is political i think that there are a lot of things that the government doesn't need to weigh in on i i think it's more so less the government doesn't need to be involved i don't think the government needs to weigh in on certain issues uh when it comes to marriage i'm, I'm more of a the government doesn't need to weigh in on that if you want to get married in whatever way you feel fit go that's fine i don't want to i don't want to do anything for stuff for certain for certain marriages that i think that are just disgraceful i think there are marriages that are conducted that are to make fun of the institution of marriage, which I think is uh, not right. And I don't want to take part in that. Well, I, I will that... I will point out, at least when it comes to the issue, and I'll touch on something else here in a second yeah. too, but the issue of marriage, for example, I've always believed that marriage, um, marriage comes from religious institutions for the most part. Yeah. And so I've opted by the government. Yes. And I, I believe the government should have never gotten involved in issuing marriage certificates or giving tax breaks to married couples or special um, tax credits to married, comp- married couples. But I like the idea of the tax breaks to married couples because you have to understand the, the tax incentive as an incentive for certain behaviors. And if you want to thrive in society, the more stronger the nuclear family is, the more stronger your society is going to be. Yeah, so, but you're, in- a good idea. you're incentivizing a certain in in essence a religious behavior at that point you're taking you're taking the power uh, over this (laughs) between the two of us i'm fine with that i don't mind well okay so here's the thing so talking about same-sex marriage 
if same-sex marriage is a strictly or if marriage is a strictly religious institution you know under the jurisdiction of the church or whatever religion then it is not up to the government to ban or legalize it because the government has no has no role in it we have a separation of church and state in this country we're not england um church and state in the in the practice sense but i understand what you're saying yes um he, he knocked over like water, that, didn't yeah, he? he? knocked over a glass of water. Nice. Um, but once you start, you know, including those tax incentives, then, okay, and issuing marriage certificates, then it becomes a government, it, it becomes, marriage becomes a government institution rather than a religious institution. So now it is the government's job to legalize or ban same-sex marriage because if they ban same-sex marriage and they are preventing, they are unfairly preventing same-sex couples from unfairly? benefiting. Un- yeah. Unfairly. I don't know if it's unfair. It, it, uh, is, it is. Well, you can't deny someone, you know, special tax treatment because of their sexual orientation. And that's what it's doing at that point. Because it's, it's now encoded in the laws. Yes. Uh, and that, say, and say in a vacuum, I would say, yeah, absolutely. You can. Well, in your community. Well, if, and if, that's if your community votes, if your community votes to ban people from receiving tax benefits based on their behavior, that is totally legitimate. I'm fine with banning people who commit crime, you know, who murder to not get tax benefits. And I'm not saying that gay marriage is on the same level as that. I'm just using it as an extreme example example to make my point that behavior is something that you can regulate in the, in the public sphere. I'm not saying that that's essentially what you want to do. Well, there's a difference. Oh. There is a difference, though, between behavior that infringes upon the rights of others and behavior that doesn't. Yeah. So same, right. you know, same sex couples in no way infringe just by existing in no way infringe on my rights as a straight male Christian. They, yes. they, they once, don't. Once they, st- once they start forcing you to engage in that wedding, that is when their behavior is starting to infringe upon your, your ability. And this yes, is one of the big but... problems I have. The way that Obergefell was argued, I have a big problem with. I think if you want to say, listen, you know, we just want to get married. You know, we want to enjoy those same tax credits. I'm like, that's absolutely fine. I think that's a great argument for removing the tax credits. I what I'm, And it might seem like I'm making two separate arguments here and talking out both sides of my mouth. My point is that there's nothing wrong with the government essentially incentivizing certain behaviors that are beneficial to society. At least I think they're beneficial to society. That is well within the government's purview. Now, you could go and say, you know, we don't want to do this anymore. That's also absolutely fine. As a practical matter, the government can do that. Whether or not they should is a completely different question. You know, that's that's my point, at least that I'm making here. Yes. And yeah, once you once they start forcing you to participate against your, for example, religious beliefs in the case of the bakeries, for example, then yes, they're infringing upon the rights of others. And that is where we can talk about something else. But if you're talking about, for example, murderers having, you know, their rights to vote taken away um, or, you know, for example, again, I'm totally comfortable with. Yes, because they're infringing on the rights of others. Because they've already rejected civil society. Okay. Well, right. you, and, you made your choice. You've made your choice. Now deal with the consequences. That's the problem. Yes, People but let's let's take a look at a less at a less extreme example because so I am not a fan of you know outright banning uh, a number of substances. Um, so tobacco, for example, 
the United States, they, they've discussed prohibition of tobacco in the past. You know, we had the prohibition of alcohol for a couple of years that didn't, you know, that failed miserably. Yeah. And, but now they're, they're essentially attempting to prohibit the sale of tobacco by an, an insane excise tax, um, which I don't necessarily agree with because at the end of the day, it's, it's, you know, your choice. If you want to smoke, if you want to have chewing tobacco, um, whatever, it's your choice. What I am a fan of is banning smoking in public places because... And, and businesses being able to ban smoking. Yes, because that is you are infringing on someone else's health by smoking near them, i.e., secondhand smoke. Yeah. Um. Same with junk drunk driving. You know, if you want to go get drunk at a bar or at your house or at a friend's house, I don't care. That's your prerogative. It is. But then once you get into a car and threaten someone else's life, or God forbid, take someone's life, you are infringing on their rights. Um. Same yeah. with same with marijuana. You know, you want to smoke it, you want to eat it, whatever, go right ahead. However, you, you can't get behind a car and then go potentially go kill somebody. And that's the less extreme example of what murder we were talking about earlier. I'm okay with government stepping in and because at the end of the day, they need, it is the government's job per social contract theory, which I'm a huge fan of, to protect the rights of its, of its citizens. And... Yes. If, Which is why you need taxes, because in, in order to force property rights, you need to be able to pay for them. Yes, same, you know, yeah. national defense. Um, Which is why I don't agree with the idea that taxation is theft. Right, well, and like I said, I say taxation is theft in an idealist sense. Yes, in a vacuum, in a vacuum, taxation would be theft, because it is mm -hmm. a forceful acquisition of someone's property. But you have to understand that, number one, you're getting a lot of services rented for your taxes. Do you engage in those services or do you want those services is a completely different question. You are receiving them. It's like someone airdropping a bag of dung to your front doorstep. You didn't want that, but you paid for it. <laughs> you yes. know, like, uh, or, or, you know, they could not even not give you the services. But in order to have the property rights, the property rights need to be protected. Now, you can protect them by paying off a warlord and have him enforce your property rights. Or you can protect them by paying taxes to a government that ensures that civil society can continue to exist peacefully to some degree, at least, um, you know, yes. and, and, and you're, this, you're insured in your property. This gets into social contract theory, which I would love to do an episode of Defined on, by the way. Um, yes. So which I'm not like, I don't necessarily disagree with social contract, contract theory, but I also don't think that's the most powerful understanding of it. Well, it's not there. There, I don't think there's any one theory of governance that is yeah. an end-all, be-all. I think exactly. you need to you need to blend it. But the United States is founded on social contract theory, and I think the broad, you know, it's inspired social contract theory. Yes, um, yeah. it. I think the broad understanding of social contract theory is is a good is a good foundation on which to look at how government should be, uh, should conduct themselves, yeah. and that is that the government in the, we we essentially form a contract with the government saying we will pay taxes, we will give up certain freedoms, i.e. we can't go murder people without consequences. We can't drive the wrong way on a one-way street. You know, we can't speed, that sort of thing. In exchange, the government is going to protect our right to bear arms, our right to free speech. They're going to protect us from foreign governments and they're going to, uh, you know, build infrastructure and provide for the general welfare. And when one side breaks that contract, it is, it is 
imperative that the other side enforce the contract. So when we break a law, the government punishes us because we broke our side of the contract. And when the government infringes on one of our rights, it is imperative on us via the- storm the Capitol. <laughs> no, 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 no. Through the ballot box, through the soap box, and through various other boxes, um, <laughs> ensure box that we're not that has to do with storming the Capitol. But no, we're not no, 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 no. Exactly what that box is. Um, but we need it is it is our job. Three boxes to ensure liberty. Yes, the ballot box, the soap box, and then and there's a third box which I have many the third of. Box, the force multiplayer box. Yes, thank you. The first, that's great. Um, but yes, so we need to enforce our side of the you know hold the government accountable to their side of the contract. And if you don't have a government that's based at least somewhat in some form on that, it can, I don't believe that it functions because it's either at, at that point without it, it's either anarchy or dictatorial extortion. Yeah, but anarchy is just tyranny by another way. Yeah, I mean... Tyranny through the back door, that's what it yes, is. Yes, yes. But is not I would like to wrap us, wrap us up here because our next episode... Um, it's going to be on our economic beliefs. So I'm probably going to dominate that one just as much as Patrick dominated this one. Probably. <laughs> so thank you guys for watching episode two of Malcast. This one's a little bit longer than the first one. But if you like this content, if you like our shows in general, please share it on social media. It makes a huge difference. You know, we've like I've said before, we are three guys singing in an apartment, various apartments, um, trying to make a difference. And we don't have we don't really have a marketing budget. We're just trying to do our best. So if you can share our content, um, it would mean the world to us. Otherwise, if you don't want to do that, just like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Interact with us and hang out with us on Twitch. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you in the next one. Give me one second.